John chapter 8, verses 37 through verse 47. John chapter 8, verses 37 through 47. And again, I, I don't remember the, pew, the number of the Pew Bible in front of you, but if you don't have your Bible with you, use the Pew Bible in front of you. Use the little scripture booklet at home. And as I stress every Sunday, uh, it's so important for you to see God's Word and have it before you, have it in your lap, have something to write with and make some notes because uh, God can work through your mind and go in another direction with this text that, that I haven't gone this morning. But you can, in your own time, uh, have time to study through that uh, in the upcoming week as we engage with this, this text. And so John chapter 8, verses 37 through verse 47, and God's word reads, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one God. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he lies, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. And for this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Father, we just ask your blessing upon the reading of your word. Um, Lord, I pray now that you would guide our thoughts and our mind as we, uh, as we delve into this text. Um, Lord, as we uh, wrestle with what it means, what did it mean for those who first heard it, that you first spoke these words to, and, and then what does it mean to us these 2,000 years later? But Lord, um, let it not stop with just understanding the meaning. Uh, let us also know how to apply it to our life. So we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so I have titled this this morning, The Hard Truth. The Hard Truth. Jonathan Edwards is best known for the sermon he preached on July the 8th, 1741, titled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And this is unfortunate because Edwards was one of the leading preachers and teachers through America's first Great Awakening. For students of theology, Edwards is seen as America's greatest theologian. The lineage of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards includes 13 college presidents, 65 professors, three United States senators, three mayors of large cities, three state governors, and the vice president of the United States. But 
one would be wrong to conclude that having Edward's blood guaranteed civic virtue. For the highest ranking member of this lineage became one of the most godless villains in American history. When Edward's daughter Esther gave birth to Aaron Burr, she looked upon him as a fine child. Although he served as vice president of the United States, Burr exposed the very opposite character of his grandfather, Jonathan Edwards. Burr rejected Christian faith, and in an illegal duel, Burr murdered Alexander Hamilton. Aaron Burr betrayed his country, plotted to crown himself emperor of Mexico. A poet said of him, eight lines of clergymen converged to meet in Aaron Burr. But Aaron was Beelzebub in mocking miniature. A little bit of history this morning as we think about the hard, hard truth. The hard truth is, your, is that your lineage doesn't matter. The hard truth is that your tradition doesn't matter. And the hard truth is that your reaction does, does matter. And Jesus saves his hardest words for those with the finest lineage, those with the greatest traditions, and those with the worst reaction to him. And so to, to build upon this or build this sermon this morning, I want to look at two passages before we get started with the text that is before us this morning, just to help set the stage just a little bit. And so the first passage would be in James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 1, Jesus' brother James, he wrote these words, Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Often we hear this verse, it's a verse that's not unfamiliar to any one of us, but we often hear it and we often think of it in a sense of those who stand in a position that I stand in here this morning, or those who would stand in a position of a Sunday school teacher, or a Bible teacher, or whatever it may be, that it's only those who James, the brother of Jesus, is speaking to this morning. But that would be far from the truth. Every one of you, be it, be it parents, be it grandparents, whatever it may be, we are all teachers to one extent or the other, are we not? And as we sit here this morning, Sunday after Sunday, and as you have for, for many, many years, the wealth of knowledge, the wealth of God's Word that has been put before you and put before me over the years, we are accountable for how we pass that information along. We're first accountable for how we take it, how we receive it, what we accept, what we reject, and then for how we pass that along to the future generation and to others who are around us that we have some influence over. So we are all teachers to one degree or another. And with that knowledge and with the knowledge that we have comes responsibility. And what do we do with that responsibility? How do we go forward? How do we apply it? How do we convey it? How do we transfer it? How, and as we engage in conversations, those are all part of those teaching moments that I believe Jesus' brother is speaking of here. And so for an Old Testament text, uh, to continue to set this stage, I want to look at Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 3 this morning. Um, and I could spend the whole Sunday or the whole morning in that, so I'll try not to do that. But Ezekiel chapter 3, uh, verses 17 through 21. And it's called, often it's the watchman, the watchman on the wall. It's in that vein of thought. And uh, as God gave Ezekiel this commission, he told him this. He said, when I say to you, or he said, son of man, verse 17, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. 
I have appointed you as overseer. I have appointed you as someone who is to take care over the house of Israel. Okay? And when I and whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. So you warn them from me. God spoke to his prophets, and then his prophets passed along the word that God had, had given them. Verse 18. When I say to you, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live. The wicked shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require of your hands. And so all the way back here in the Old Testament, God says, listen, if I speak a word to you, and it may be a hard word, it may be a word that, that, that you may get killed as many of the prophets did, but if you refrain from speaking the word that I gave them, their blood is on your hands, not on theirs, because you failed to warn them. Aren't you glad we live in the New Testament on this side of the cross where each and every one of us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, of those who had surrendered their life to Christ, if you are a Christian this morning, the Holy Spirit lives within you. Lives within you. It depends on how much you experience, how close you are with God, but nonetheless, each one of us is accountable for our own behalf. And so as we share God's word, as we train others, it's not necessarily those others' blood is on our hands when it comes to their salvation, when it comes to their eternal destination, but we will still be held accountable for what we do with the information that we have. But in the Old Testament, it was very, very strict. And he goes on and it says also, and again, when a righteous man, and he says the, the, the reverse then. Uh, and so he was, God was very pointed with Ezekiel and said, you better speak what you hear. That's a hard word. And those are harsh words that often the prophets had. And, and who wants to engage in that? Who wants to transfer a hard word? Or who wants to look at it and do another life? Or, or who wants to speak into to anybody's life in a negative way that's often perceived as a negative way, right? I don't want to do that. I'm sure you don't want to do that. We don't want to do those things because it's uncomfortable, right? And it makes people not like us. And I don't know about you, but I'm fairly insecure, right? I want to be liked. I like to be liked. I like to be given an attaboy. And when things are said harshly, you don't get an attaboy. And that's, I think, where Jesus is headed in our text here this morning. Well, the hard truth is that your lineage does not matter. Who your family are, who your dad is, who your mom is, you might have come from the tradition of Jonathan Edwards, but that doesn't give you a pass into your eternal destination with God, does it? No. So they may indeed, as Jesus starts out in verse 37, he says, I know you're Abraham's descendants. I understand who you are because they had to remind Jesus, hey, Jesus, just in case you forgot, we're Abraham's descendants. Jesus, I know who you are. So why do you seek to kill me? Why do you seek to kill me? So they indeed may be in the lineage of Abraham, Jesus is saying in essence, but that won't save you from your sins. Just because you say Abraham is your father, that will not save you. You know, our family lineage will not save us either. And yet our family lineage in this world carries a little bit of weight, doesn't it? Who you are, what your last name is, what your position in life is, or the position your parents have in life, that carries some weight in this world. But not in the spiritual world, it does not. In fact, I want to offer you to this morning that that may actually be some baggage for the spiritual world. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this. That as we go through school, as we grow up, and as we go to our fine Holly Grove Christian school with great teachers, with a biblical emphasis, 
that each teacher brings to the classroom and you grow up in that setting and you are learned and you are taught the Word of God as, as you sit under the preachers here at Hollygrove or other churches and as you're taught some of those things, you have that wealth of information. But just because you have the information doesn't mean it's taken effect, taken root in your life. And that can actually be spiritual bond or baggage for us. Because I think I know the Bible inside and out. I know all those things, but knowing doesn't equate to actually having that relationship with Christ. And so the first point this morning is that the hard truth is that your lineage does not matter. They didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was because they did not know. They did not recognize the words of Jesus. They knew they knew the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. They certainly didn't look at it as their Old Testament. But they knew exactly those words, and they knew what, the, what, what those words were and what Jesus was speaking to, but they did not make that connection. They didn't make that connection. Why? Well, we'll get there. But they knew, they knew what was in there, but it had not taken root in their life. They did not recognize. There was some stumbling blocks. There were some things that the words that they were hearing from Jesus as they went through their filters within their mind within their spiritual filters, if you will, that just did not mesh for one reason or another. They've seen it and they looked at it through their spiritual lens. Verse 40, verse 40, Jesus is saying this. He says, but as it is, you are seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. So you say you're Abraham's father. You, oh, you say father, Abraham is your father. Okay, I get that. Then why don't you do the things that Abraham did? Because Abraham did not act the way that you did. In essence, Jesus is saying, okay, if you want to call up your family lineage, and if you want to call and claim Abraham as your father, and therefore you, you, you have the past, or you have the right, or, or that's where you take your cue from as you go through your spiritual life, let me tell you some of the things that Abraham did is what Jesus is in essence saying. And we'll just give you one. I'll just give you one this morning because we could certainly go down that path this morning. I will give you one verse and you can take it from there. And it's in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And this is actually, I think, where Abraham was saved. If you want to look at the life of Abraham and as God called him out of the country, called him, called him to another place. And here in the 15th chapter, uh, God meets with Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to and you're going to be blessed. You're going to have all the sand of the sea. That, that, those are going to be all your descendants. You look at the stars in the sky and you can't even count them. That's how all your descendants are going to be. And Abraham said what? The Bible tells us that then Abraham believed in Yahweh and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Reckoned, accounted would probably be a better word for us in more modern English language, that it was accounted to him, that it was accrued to him, that it was reconciled to him, that, that the book was balanced, if you will, that belief that Abraham had in God. And yet, because God met with Abraham and made that promise to Abraham, made that covenant as Abraham passed between those, the, those cut-open animals. You can read the account for yourself there. Made that covenant with Abraham that God said, this is on me. And yet, how many years pass until Abraham actually even had, had a son? Four times the New Testament quotes this particular verse, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Romans does it twice, Paul does it in Galatians, and then James, the brother of Jesus, does it in James chapter 2, verse 23, that he quotes this verse. Abraham believed in Yahweh, and it was accredited to him, it was accounted to him as righteousness. 
So where do we turn, right? Where do we turn and what do we, faith do we rely upon when we hit those crisis moments in our life, in your life? Is it enough? Is it enough for you to say with Abraham that, Lord, I believe you. I know I'm an old man and my wife, oh, she's really old, <laughs> you know, but I know you're going to give me a child. How it's going to work out, I don't know. In those faith crisis moments, what does our faith hinge upon? Those are very real moments. And in those moments, our lineage doesn't matter, even if we thought it mattered before, does it? We go to those moments and those times, and we might want to say exactly that. God, don't you know who I am? My dad's a preacher. My grandpa's a preacher. My great-grandpa's a preacher. I come from a long line of preachers. Don't you know who I am, God? Don't you know what I've done for you? Right? We have those moments, don't we? We certainly don't verbalize those, but we know they're there and we know they come up at times when we realize that our lineage doesn't matter. And that's when it gets real. That's when it gets real. Sometimes we think we can come and we can sit in the church like this right here. We can sit in our Bible studies and we can learn and study the Bible, which, which you, you know, I'm all for that. But it cannot stop. It cannot stop there. It cannot stop there. So our lineage, who you are doesn't matter. What you know doesn't matter would be another way of saying it. And the second thing that doesn't matter is your tradition. <laughs> now, we're Mennonites. And that tradition is pretty important, right? I mean, we are the chosen ones of God, I do believe. <laughs> Um, and some of you that are cradle Mennonites know exactly what I'm talking about, um, that that can happen. I, I don't know why we got that thought at times. And I, and I know every denomination, every tradition, I'm sure, is the same. But our traditions that we grew up with, I went to Mass every Saturday, Friday, Sunday, whenever it was, and I said my Hail Marys, I, I, I did my... Uh, my rosary, all those little traditions that you may have, be that be the Catholic, be the, be the Protestant, be it Catholic, be it Jewish traditions. We have all these religious traditions that we think may save us. Our traditions don't save us, do they? They don't save us at all. Chapter or verse 41, Jesus calls out their traditions. When he says, he says, you are doing the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we are not born of fornication. Now, what he's saying is, we're not born of fornication. What, what their essence is saying is, because there was, this, uh, there was this, this idea, this rumor floating around that Jesus didn't, have a bi didn't know who his biological dad was. And so it was this rumor going around that actually um, that he was conceived you know, outside of marriage. And so this was, this was kind of a jab a jab to Jesus, right? I mean, we see that people were mean back then just as they are today, right? And it was kind of a jab at Jesus. Hey, we weren't born of fornication. We have, we have fornication. We have one God, one God. What they were alluding to that maybe we missed today, and that's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It's the Shema, right? Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. That was something that they recited as they came and as they went out of, the, out of the synagogues. And it was something that every Jewish child grew up saying all through life. And Jesus is in essence saying, look, that, 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 that's not going to, those traditions, those rituals will not save you. We've got the excellent example, if you will, 
Paul had excellent. And that's in Philippians chapter 3, where we look at the life of Paul. And we see that life that, that, that Paul is calling out this very tradition to the Jewish folks that he's witnessing to here at the church in Philippi. When he says this, he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, hey, he says, if you think you got confidence in yourself because of your traditions, because of who you are, let me tell you about me. I far more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. Everything about Paul was right. He had the right beginning on the eighth day. They carried out their traditions. He was from the right nation. He was from the nation of Israel. He was from the right tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. He had the right uh, upbringing. He was taught. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had the right standard. He was a Pharisee. That was the, that was the top of the theological pile, if you will. He was a, he was a Pharisee. And as for zeal, huh? he was a persecutor of the church. As for, for morality, he was found blameless. And yet Paul goes on to say that all that is nothing. All that means and applies for nothing. So our traditions, they mean nothing when it comes to our spiritual life. They're certainly important to us as we go through this life, right? And as we gather together and we do life together. Some of those traditions that we have, they're very important, but they won't save us. We can't rely and depend, depend upon them. And then Jesus gets a little harder here and as he becomes more pointed and drills down a little bit harder on them in verse 44 when he says this. He finally just point blank comes out and says it. He says, you are of your father, the devil. <laughs> you want to do the desires of your father. Your father, he was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks his own nature. He is a liar, and you're the father of lies, and he says, that's who your dad is. Well, what happened to the loving Jesus, huh? What happened to the Jesus that we look at that God is love, all is love? <laughs> what happened to that Jesus? I want that Jesus back. But this is also in the text. These are also, I don't have a red-letter Bible because to me it's all red, but nonetheless, maybe you have one of those red-letter Bibles. And if you look at that, these words are red also. What do we do with those when Jesus gets hard and gets this pointed? Those are difficult. He says, the devil, he, he is your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. Well, what's he talking about? Some commentaries would think that he's talking about Cain and Abel. I don't think so. I think he's talking about all the way back. If you go to, back to Genesis chapter 3. You know I blame everything on Genesis chapter 3. Uh, but you go back to Genesis chapter 3 where the serpent, the Satan, showed up in the garden. He says, did God really say, did he really say that if you eat of that fruit, you're going to die? That's, that's not true. He just doesn't want any competition. He doesn't want you to know everything, right? Was that lie? And because they fought that lie, death entered into the world. And so in that sense, Jesus is saying that the devil is a murderer, a manslayer in the original language would be the exact tr translation. Just a, a, a manslayer. He's a, he's a father of, of lies. And then he goes on to say, he says, you want to do the desires of your father. See, see you say you're Abraham's father, but, but you're not. You're actually the devil's child. And you want to do the things that the devil desires. Now, the word here for desire is rarely used in a positive sense in the New Testament. 
It is a few times that it is used in the positive sense, and it's so few that I want to give you them all. Uh, and you know I like my cross-references. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul wrote to his protege Timothy, and he said this. He said, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, <clears throat> that's just engaged in oversight, supervision, leaders of a Christian community, that is a good work that that person desires. Same word, same desire that a person has, except in a positive sense. And, and, I, and I was reminded about that as I looked at that verse, that we ourselves right here at Holly Grove are seeking another elder. It's time to find another elder to continue to lead and partner in our leadership team as we lead this body uh, uh, in a forward direction in Christ and closer to Christ. And sometimes we look at it as a work that we don't want to do, or sometimes it's like, well, there's a role that needs filled. Let's just get somebody who's willing to fill it. No, no, we need to take it very serious. But the Bible also tells us, God also tells us that it's a, it's a work to be desired. It's a work to be desired. So, huh? I'll just put this plug out there. If you would desire such a work, see one of the elders. Maybe God is stirring and working in, the, in your heart to call you to such a work as that. It's a good work to desire. It's a good work to desire. Well, 1 Thessalonians 2.17, having been away, Paul says that I desire to see your face. Can you just hear that? Can you just, just kind of feel that? And then Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 22, verse 15, as he, as, as he was at that Passover, ate the Passover meal for the last time with his disciples, and he says, I had desired to eat this with you. There's passion, there's a longing, there's something that wells up within this type of desire. And then Jesus says it in the negative sense and says, that desire is the desire that you have to do the work, to do the deeds of your father, the devil. <laughs> wow. How are we supposed to receive that? But here in verse 44, it is in a very negative sense that Jesus is pointing that. And it's in essence, it's like, listen, we desire what we desire, don't we? We desire what we desire. We desire to be our own gods. Don't you tell me, right? Don't you tell me what I can or cannot do. And we'll tack on God is love. Well, I mean, we do that, right? We do that. But in essence, we're doing the exact same thing that Satan did in Genesis chapter 3. God's holding out on you. God's holding out on you. When we hear some of these hard words of Jesus, some of the instructions that Jesus lays out in his inspired word for us, we want to ignore those. We want to look over those. We cannot do that. We cannot do that. We need each other to know how to interpret, how to apply those difficult sayings, sayings of Jesus. Sometimes we look at Revelation. I've been spending a lot of time in Revelation. For some reason, I've become fascinated with that, with that letter. <clears throat> and, I, and, I, and I'm struck by, uh, as I come flip back and forth between the Gospel of John and Revelation, sometimes I think Revelation is easier to understand than some of the words of Jesus. Right? Some of his sayings are really, really hard, like the one that is before us today. Well, your tradition doesn't matter, your lineage doesn't matter, but what does matter is your reaction to the hard truth. That is what matters. I want to <clears throat> close out here with verse 45 and 46. <clears throat> In verse 45 and 46 of John chapter 8, where he says, but Jesus says, but I, I, I speak the truth to you, and you do not believe me. 
Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? Right? In verse 47, he who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Now listen, your reaction to these words of Jesus, they do matter. God is the one who judges our actions. He is the one who judges how we accept and reject his words. And yes, we are not Jesus. I certainly am not Jesus. Ask my 10 elder brothers and sisters. They will tell you I'm not Jesus. But yet we do and are asked to speak on behalf of Jesus at times, are we not? Ultimately, we're not the ones who judge, but we are at times asked to have that, what could be received as a, as a hard word. So not wanting to speak the hard truth, it's understandable. We like to be liked and we want to be accepted. But the real test of anyone's faith, the real test of your faith and of my faith is how I react to those words of Jesus. The ones I like and the ones I don't like. And I was thinking about that just a little bit. And, and you know, we got this little dog, right? And, and any of you that are on Facebook, you know that Cheryl, huh? Oh boy. She humanizes this dog. You know, this dog has a little pillow that is between our pillow on the bed and it lays its head on that pillow. And Jan, you made a quilt for that little dog. I'm calling you out. And it covers, Cheryl covers it up with that quilt. And I remind her at times this dog is not human. So the other night I got a little irritated at this dog because I thought Cheryl was hogging all the bed. And I'm thinking, man, I know she's got to get up early and so I don't want to push her over. But pretty soon I was like, I got to do something. I looked and here it was the dog. It was crowding me off the bed. Well, anyways, that's enough of that. But, but, but you know what I'm saying, don't you? At times we humanize our pets, right? I call it humanizing. But I think sometimes we humanize Jesus too. You know, yeah, some demonize Jesus. As we hear in the news today, there's people that want to tear down statues of Jesus. So there's those who, who demonize Jesus. But some want to humanize Jesus. Some want to, to take Jesus and say, Jesus is my, my buddy and, and Jesus is my best friend and Jesus and I just had a little chit-chat and, and all these words that we use. I get all that. I totally do. But I think we also need to remember that Jesus is God. Jesus is God and we need to, to view our life and mold our life through him. We must mold and shape Jesus to fit into our version of faith is what we want to do, Right? I mean, can I say it? Especially as American Christians, we have an interesting flavor of Christianity. We're all that plus more, aren't we? We want to take Jesus and we want to fit Jesus into our faith. Jesus doesn't allow us to do that. We must fit our faith. We must surrender our will, our life, our desires to Jesus. The words we like, in the words we don't like. See, that's why he says here in 47, he who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, I say to you, you don't hear them. Now here, we could replace that word here, and I think it might be better, I, I think I didn't delve into that word, but I think we could replace it with accept. 
You don't accept the word of God. You don't even accept, you don't even hear the word of God. Because Jesus says, because you are not of God. Those are hard words. Those are hard words. May we take those serious this morning, not to discourage us, but to encourage us, for us to take time to evaluate our life. Am I living my life through my lineage? Am I living my life through my tradition? How am I living my life? How am I living my life? See, your lineage doesn't matter. Your tradition doesn't matter. What matters is how you respond to the words of Jesus. All of them. All of them. Lord, I thank you for this, this time this morning. And Lord, as we wrestle through, as I wrestle anyways, through such a difficult text, and such a text that doesn't give me the warm and fuzzies at all when you say that their father is the devil and they're not even of God. And yet there's people that go to synagogue, they, they're very religious in their, their walk and in their life and in their faith. And, you know, we don't want to be those people. And yet we do surrender and we do confess at times, Lord, that I have found myself depending upon my lineage, depending upon my traditions. And I want to confess those things to you this morning. And I want to uh, surrender uh, once again, Lord, that I want to fit my faith into you, not you in, into my faith. So help me to know that. Help us to know how to do that. And Lord, as we leave this building, and as we've already acknowledged this morning, Lord, it's just hard out there. The world seems to be upside down. We are your children. We are your servants. We are your ambassadors. Lord, help us. Help us to have the courage to speak truth, to speak love, to live it, to show it, to give it. Help us to be your hands and feet. Father, may we evaluate our life first as we leave this, this place. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.